Well, what a wild week it has been for my family. You see, we actually got the keys to our new home right here in 40509 on December 26th. And so we spent the last week, week and a half, uh, moving, painting, unboxing, and, and while there's still more to do, and we are so excited to just kind of take that next step and being integrated and being part of this community. But I want to share with you a story of kind of the last place that we lived. In fact, um, we lived in northern Kentucky for, for seven, eight years before kind of moving here to Lexington. And, and about four years into living in the house we were at up there, uh, my wife and I, we just kind of had this realization that we didn't really know that many people in our neighborhood. Like, like we didn't really know that many people on Hope Lane, which is where we lived. And, and so, so we started to think about it and we, we were like, man, we hang out with our next door neighbor quite a bit. But other than that, b- beyond like a few, you know, friendly waves as folks are driving down and pulling into their garage and shutting the door behind them, we really didn't have much interaction with other people on our street. And so we had this idea. Hey, we were going to throw like the Hope Lane block party, like, like the first ever Hope Lane block party. And, and so we had this idea like, hey, we're going to uh, we're going to invite all of our neighbors together and, and just kind of have have a great evening of hanging out and playing games and eating food and all this kind of stuff. And so like any other good parents, what we did was we mobilized our kids with invitations and they hand delivered those to each and every door on Hope Lane. And the invitation was simple. The message, very, very simple. Say, you're invited. Hope Lane block party had the date and the time and said, bring anything you'd like if you'd like. And so about two weeks after that, you know, my wife and next door neighbor, they spent all this time just getting everything perfect. I mean, the, the picnic tables had matching tablecloths and, and like everything was, was Pinterest-esque, you know what I'm saying? And, and like the cornhole boards were perfectly spaced and, and we had basketballs and bubbles that were easily accessible and lawn chairs were strewn about both our driveway and in the yard. And, and then as the time came, it got closer and closer, kind of like a NASA launch. We're just waiting and we're getting closer to the time when, when the party is supposed to start when we kind of all realize that there's a real possibility that nobody shows up. And so as the time is getting closer, I promise like I'm looking around and I think I saw a neighbor like peek out their blind and then kind of shuffle away, see if anybody else was coming. And as it got closer and closer, we're kind of feeling this tension because we can't hide our expectations, right? I mean, we literally are set up for a party and we're only hoping now that that's what we're about to have, but, but as the time approached, we saw, we saw a young family step out of their front door and make their way up the street into our driveway. Then we look over and there's another couple and they've got a dog and, and they're coming and there's another family. And, and before long, all of these people begin converging on this small plot of land at the heart of Hope Lane. And we even see this older couple, like seven houses up, and they get into their Escalade And they make the trek seven houses down and they park right in front of our driveway and they get out and join the party. And so before long, there's over 40 men, women and children all kind of like gathered up in our driveway. And wouldn't you know, 
Moments later, out of nowhere, like the bottom falls out of this pop-up thunderstorm. I'm not kidding. And just like rain begins to fall. And it's these big, like midsummer sized drops, you know, the kind that are like as big as Skittles and they're just like plastering everybody. And so we throw our garage door up and everybody kind of, they shuffle in and, and they're grabbing stuff. And maybe they brought coolers and they, they, were, they were carrying like basketballs and all this kind of stuff. And everybody, everybody carried a smile and now they're, they're just carrying everything they can into the garage and there's this moment where I'm shoulder to shoulder with these people that I just met and I look around and I realize I realize man how cool is this it's not Pinterest-esque anymore but it's way more personal than anything we could plan and and then just moments later as quickly as the storm popped up it was gone And so now everybody kind of folds out of the garage like a clown car and and people are carrying tables back out and they're setting all the food back up and food, man, I tell you what, like like the burgers and the dogs were on the grill and and all the sides and the chips and the drinks and anything you can imagine, the desserts and all that kind of stuff. And, And we go on to have this incredible night. This incredible time all together and, 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 and we just had this time where we all experienced community, where we all came together and, and those people who drove up in an Escalade, they, they said, this older couple, and they said, you know, we've been here for 30 years and we didn't know hardly anyone. And now look at us partying with everyone. And then they hopped back in the Escalade and made the trip back home. And listen, like, like we're in week two of this series called We Love 40509. And as Monty set up last week, this idea comes from Acts chapter one, verse eight. These are some of Jesus's very, very final words. And he's sharing these with his followers. And this is what he says in Acts 1, 8. He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in doing so with that, with that one little phrase, that one little sentence that Jesus shares with his followers, he kind of paints this ripple effect picture and approach to being and sharing the good news. He says, listen, I want you to start right here. They were all gathered up in Jerusalem. He said, I want you to start right here. And then you're going to move out. And you're going to take this message. You're going to take the good news wherever you go. You're going to take it to other cities. You're going to take it to other neighborhoods. You're going to take it to other regions and eventually to the ends of the world, to the nations and all around the world. And so when we, as a church right here at Northeast, when we, we apply that to our context, we're saying, hey, listen, this place, This place many of us gather, this place is going to be like the sending place, right? This is kind of the epicenter of this ripple effect. Like this place, this building, it's physically located in 40509. And we have a very real, tangible, like like physical address right here, which means we have very real neighbors right around us like Liberty Elementary School, like we kind of share shadows based on what time of day it is. And hundreds and hundreds of students are, are um, a part of Liberty Elementary and they're represented by all of these neighborhoods right around us. And then we've got neighbors on the other side of our property at Hamburg Pavilion and all of these businesses. And then we've got uh, townhomes right across Starshoot Parkway and, and, and all around us, we have physical neighbors. And we want to be, we want to be good neighbors right here where we are as 
a church, but it doesn't stop here. No, this is only the beginning and we'll be sharing more and more ways that we're gonna love the 40509 and more and more ways that we're gonna be intentional with how we interact with our neighbors over the next several weeks and months to come. But it doesn't stop here, it goes beyond. And so when we move out, we move out into our neighborhoods and into our communities, we understand that many of you, like a lot of you actually do live in 40509, but, but not all of you. I mean, in fact, like, like some of you come from Tate's Creek, right? Some of you come from Harrodsburg Road or, or some from, from like downtown or Masterson Station or, or Wilmore, or Richmond or Georgetown or Winchester. And, and while we physically or, or virtually gather here, we scatter there. And we understand that and essentially we ripple out from this point, but we go to all of these unique and, and various communities. And as we go to these neighborhoods and these other towns and these other cities and, and regions, just like Judea and Samaria, and as we go, we, we become witnesses of what Christ is doing in our lives and we carry the name of Jesus into those places. And so today I wanna unpack what it looks like to do just that, like what it looks like to be a good neighbor where you live, whether that's in 40509 or beyond. And so by doing that, I want to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to read about this interaction that Jesus has with uh, this expert of the law, this expert in Jewish law. It's like a young attorney. He knows it inside and out. And he's going to have this interaction. Then he's going to follow it with a very popular story, a parable that, that you very well may be well acquainted with. So Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this, this young lawyer, he presents a question to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with the question. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Verse 27, the young man, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And so we can read that and, and that would kind of put a nice little bow on it. This man, he presents Jesus a question. Jesus follows that up with the question. The guy answers it correctly. And then Jesus says, hey, that's it. You know what to do. Now go and do it. But this is what's so interesting. This young lawyer, he's not content in Jesus's response here. No, 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 but because there's all of these laws, there's over 600 laws and Jesus says, how do you interpret that? Like, what is the most important? And so he answers this correctly and he essentially, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And then he, he follows that with Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that's right, now go do it. But he's not content. He's not content in this because this man, he wants to know like specifically. He wants to know. And so, so maybe you're like this where like you need the rubric, right? Like you need the answer key. You need to know exactly like which T's to cross and which I's to dot. Like you need to know how well you're doing at whatever you're doing. And oftentimes that means you need to know how well you're doing compared to how well they're doing. 
And so that's what was at the heart of this man's question. It follows, it says, it says he wanted to justify himself. We read this, verse 29. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, he wants to know how well he's doing. And so he wants to know, Jesus, tell me exactly. When it says love my neighbor as myself, who is that that I'm supposed to be loving? I want to make sure that I get that just right. In verse 30, Jesus replies and he shares this story. He says, listen up. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And so he paints this scene. He says, look, there's this man, he's traveling. And this is very important from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's jumped and he's beaten and he's left there to die. And then verse 31, what you know, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And then verse 32, so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And I want to pause here and kind of unpack what's going on. You see, Jesus, he sets the story up. This man's not only jumped, but, but he's jumped in a very specific place. He's jumped on this road, which is like a 19-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's a very rocky, windy, narrow path that he would be on. It's a place that would be very popular for people to, to rob other people. Okay, and so they would understand the context here. Like, like that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be uh, like something that's hard to wrap their mind around. Like people get jumped in this place from time to time. And, and so, so he says, there's a priest, however, the priest, he walks up and he's coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. And that's significant because if a priest is coming from Jerusalem, it means that he's just wrapped up his priestly duties, which is essentially like saying like the lead pastor has just finished up his sermon and he's driving down man of war. All right. And then he, he sees somebody in need. But what's the priest do? He, he doesn't stop. In fact, he doesn't just pass by. He takes the bypass around. He goes to the other side. It's like he jumps on New Circle and goes completely around to not have to inconvenience himself with this man's problems. And then, and then another guy comes along, a Levite. And if the priest is equated to like the senior pastor, then, then the Levite would be like the youth pastor. He's like the seminary student. And so, so he comes along and, and, and he does the same presented the same opportunity to help, but, but he goes right around and he passes by the roadside victim. And then, and then we see, we see what happens next. It just kind of, it rocks everyone's world who's in earshot of the story. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And when he went to him, he bandaged his wounds. He, he poured oil and wine on him. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I mean, think about that. The, the, the Samaritan, he comes by and he stops. And we'll see why that's significant in just a moment. But he stops by and he says, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I, I want this man to be well. 
He says, I will pay his debt. So he not only bandages him up, he not only gets him to care, but then he says, look, I'm gonna come back. And when I do, I mean, whatever bill he's wrapped up, like that's on me. I'm gonna pay his debt. And in verse 36, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, now, now he's talking to the lawyer. He says, now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, now go and do likewise. And and so look at this. There's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. They're all presented the same opportunity to demonstrate love. And as I've said before, that love is a verb. It's an act of the will. It must be demonstrated. And so to make a point, like, like, like let's substitute the word love for a word that we often do associate action with, like the word help. Like, like think about it now. Like was the priest able to help? Absolutely. Like was the Levite able to help? Absolutely. They were just unwilling. You see, it wasn't that they were unable, it's that they were unwilling. They were unwilling to help, but who steps up? The Samaritan. And I know we've talked about this from time to time, but Jews and Samaritans, like like they they had this, this, uh, this generational discourse. Like they were always, always fueled by hate toward one another. They had this brewing hatred that, that, was just, that was just fueled by, by racial and political and cultural differences that, that had just been passed down and down and down. And so they hated one another. So the fact that a Samaritan stops would have stopped everyone in their tracks because that would have been, that would have been scandalous to even consider. It'd sort of be like saying that while the pastor passed by, a Nazi showed compassion. It's something that, that just hearing, it just kind of wells up this, this anger inside of us. Like that doesn't even make sense. Well, that's what's going on here. It's unimaginable. It's unthinkable. Scandalous to even consider. But that's the picture Jesus paints. That, that this Samaritan is the one who shows compassion. And he's not only able to help, but he's willing. It's the Samaritan who acts out Love, And then Jesus asked his final question to the young lawyer. Think about this. He says, now, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And notice the expert in the law couldn't even bring himself to say the name Samaritan. But he does recognize the point. He says, the one who had mercy on him. Now go and do likewise. You see, the lawyer was, was trying to identify who his neighbor was, but Jesus ends up flipping the script and he says, the question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question is, will I be a neighbor? Like, will I be a neighbor? Because here's the deal. If we start with who is my neighbor, then we'll be tempted to withhold love because we'll have preconceived ideas on what that person is like. We'll have prejudices and we'll have all of these stereotypes in our mind and we will try to determine if they deserve our help, if they deserve our love. But, but when we choose, I'm gonna be a neighbor first and foremost, regardless of who's around me. And then I have an opportunity. I will demonstrate love. I will act love out. I will not distinguish 
who determine, like who gets the love that God has given to me. And so, so we see that this message, it, 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 it's this one where Jesus says, hey, I want you to be merciful like this man who happens to be a Samaritan. I want you to be a neighbor like him. I want you to go and do likewise. And so for us, when we hear that and we start thinking in our context, like what does that mean? What can we learn from this encounter of Jesus and a lawyer and then the story that he tells? Well, well, John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is going to be the mark. Like this is what will set you apart. When the whole world, when your community, when your neighbors look at you, this is how they'll know that you follow me if you love one another, if you ambush those people with the love of Jesus. And so, so we, we know that, that when we talk about like, like our call as Christ followers, that can be something that we wrestle with. Like, well, what does that look like? And, and Pastor Mike Bro, he, he put it very beautifully, very simply. He said, he said it's not always easy but it's never complicated. Like it's not always easy, but it's never complicated. I mean, think about it, right? Like love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, like with all of who you are, love God and then love other people. Like love God and love people. Complicated? No. Easy? Hardly ever. Because we're broken people, right? Trying to love other broken people. And, and, and we, we, may be, we may be able, but are we willing? Are we willing to extend love? Because as we saw with the Samaritan, for you to love someone, it often requires inconvenience and sacrifice. But isn't that the way that it works? Like maybe you've experienced this in your life that, that there's always this degree of inconvenience or, or, or this element of sacrifice if you're going to love someone because oftentimes following Jesus means disrupting your plans. But it always has this way of leading to life. Get this, not just for those you're helping, certainly that brings life to the people that you're helping. But like in the story, it also brings life, abundant life to those who get to extend hope, who get to extend help, who get to extend the love of Jesus. And so when we take these teachings of Jesus and we imply them to our own lives and we apply them to our context, like right here in the 40509 and beyond, loving your neighborhood and more specifically loving your neighbor. I think it's, I think it's best to begin like with the person that, that gave us the best example to take our cues from Christ himself. And, and so when we look at the interactions of Jesus with individuals, we can glean some very applicable um, like practices that transcend centuries and translate to every community represented like here and there and wherever you are. And what's more, it's interesting that, that Jesus seems so intentional, get this, so intentional about giving others home field advantage. Like you would think Jesus, this, this, this guy who begins this wave of hope, like he's introducing this whole new like religion based on a relationship that he would do primarily all of his teaching, like in a, in a worship center or something like that. No, no, no. No, he was always up for giving people time on their turf. And so it's like he knew that that helps remove barriers. 
He knew like getting into the neighborhood would help break down walls and, and it would make people more open to hearing his messages. So it didn't matter if Jesus was in the workplace like he was with James and John in Matthew chapter four, or, or if Jesus was like in, in the dark of the night with Nicodemus in John chapter three, or, or if he was at Zacchaeus's house party with like all of these sinners in Luke chapter 19, like he welcomed the opportunity to be a neighbor. And then you think about, like, you, you look at all those interactions and you think about, like, the conversations and how those would begin in, in the Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are jam-packed with, like, over 40 examples of encounters with people and Jesus. And we start looking at all of that. And we start unpacking that. And, and it didn't matter if Jesus, like, initiated the conversation with folks like the crippled beggar. In John 5 or, or the Samaritan woman in John 4, or if he was the recipient of a conversation starter, like with the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 or Jairus, the synagogue ruler or the hemorrhaging woman in Mark 5, or if the conversation was actually triggered by a third party and he was just kind of like sucked into it, like, like the tax collectors and partiers in Matthew 9 or, or the adulterous woman in John 8, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what, what swirled up or what brought upon the conversation. Jesus was always down for it. And here's what's so cool is that Jesus was willing to be disrupted. Get this, because he saw people, not by the labels we create, but in the image of their creator. Like Jesus saw people. And he saw them and he didn't see them by their shortcomings. He didn't see them by all these labels that we put on people. No, 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 he saw them. He saw them as, as dearly loved children of a God who created them in his own image. And Jesus was, was radically in love with each and every person, so much so that he would sacrifice his own and that he would pay a debt for them, that he would extend help, he would extend hope, and he would extend love for them. You know, it's, it's interesting the way that God works because earlier this week I was actually working on this message and, and, um, and I kind of had to hit the pause button because I had the opportunity to go speak to our students, our middle and high school students on Wednesday night at our student ministry gathering. And, and I finished that up and I was getting home. It was about eight o'clock and it was just kind of a long day. And, and like I said, we've got boxes to unpack and all this kind of stuff. And, and I pull into my driveway. Again, I've been working on this message about loving my neighbor. And I pull into my driveway and I open the door and my new neighbor, like right next door, he's got a fire roaring in his fire pit. And he said, hey man, I've got a seat saved for you. And I get out and in that moment, I'm thinking like, I am so tired. Like, I, I just wanna go inside. I know I've got stuff to do, but, and I told I said, hey man, um, I, I do need to go get the kids like tucked in. I need to check in on my wife and all this kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, keep, keep my spot warm, that kind of thing. And, because I knew, I knew that, that, hey, you don't have to say yes to every opportunity. Like there's certainly health in saying no and creating boundaries, absolutely. But I knew in this moment, like, like hey, th this, this is an opportunity I need to seize. Like I need to, to get to know my neighbor. I'm brand new here and I have this open invitation. I wanna seize this opportunity. And that's important because, because my neighbor is important. My neighbor, like my next door neighbor, not some like figurative, like, like who, who is your neighbor? No, 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 like my neighbor who has an, an address right next to mine, like he is important because he, he matters. He's valuable. He's valuable in the sight and the eyes of God who loves him. And, and so something happens when you begin to see people that way. 
Like when you begin to see people with, with the intrinsic value that God places on them, that they were created on purpose and for a purpose. And so, so I got to hang out with my new neighbor and we, we sit around the fire for an hour and a half, just kind of talking, getting to know each other. And, and listen, something happens. Like when you lay down like social differences, like something happens when you lay down like cultural differences or political differences or, or, or like presidential candidate differences, like something happens when you just love like Jesus. Listen, I get it though. Like some people are hard to love. I mean, some people are like, like trying to hug a vampire. They just have a way of sucking the life out of you. I get it. But, but, but like I mentioned, it's not always easy but it's not complicated either. Like we love God and we love people. And so when we look at all these examples of the way that Jesus, Jesus interacted with people that I believe we see kind of like these three things that he did again and again and again. And if we apply those, I believe it'll help us be better neighbors where we live. These three things that, that you start with needs, that you ambush with grace, and that you speak with boldness. We see Jesus do this and, and, and we have to understand that being a witness like Jesus called us to be means being a neighbor where we're called to live. Like we're gonna start here, but we're gonna move out. And when you go there, when you go to wherever you call home and, and you're a witness there, it, 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 means, it means loving your neighbor, your actual neighbor. And we start with needs because everyone has a basic need to be known. Like every single person has this basic need to be known. You know, Lance Ford puts it very practically. He says, if we are to love our neighbors, we must first learn their names. Like, like if we're going to love our neighbors, we have to first learn their names. Like if we don't, if we don't know our neighbors names, then there's no way for us to actually know them. And so before you can identify any other needs that may show up in their life, you have to first meet that need of knowing them. And that begins by knowing their names. You know, several years ago, I have a friend named Shamus and, and he was speaking at this retreat and the MC got up and, and he said, he said, Hey, I want to introduce you to one of my, my great friends, a guy I've known real long. This, this guy's name is Seamus. And he kind of introduced him. And I remember Shamus's look on his face and, and cause nothing says you don't know me, like not knowing my name. Right. And so we have to know our neighbor's name. If we want to know them, if we want an opportunity to meet needs. And so there's this tool, this very, very simple tool adapted from the book, the art of neighboring that provides, like I said, a simple yet effective visual for how to intentionally invest in your neighbors, which again, all begins by knowing their names. So here's what you do. You very simply sketch out this like tic-tac-toe looking board. It's kind of like a, a neighborhood grid. And then you put yourself right in the middle. Right? You put your family right in the middle. And so I drew this one, I put me. And then what you do, you try to fill out Fill out all of your neighbor's names around you. So across the street, you write their name. You know, next door, you write their name behind you in diagonal. And you do that and you see if you can fill this out. But because, because we have to know our, our neighbor's names if we're going to have an opportunity to meet 
their needs. And I get this, like it doesn't apply to everybody's neighborhood. I totally get that. Like maybe you live in an apartment building and so instead of streets, these are corridors or, or you gotta be creative. Maybe you live way out in the country and so this needs to be like stretched super far. I totally get it. You can apply it to however that looks for you. But we've gotta take the step of seeing people and knowing their names so we have an opportunity to meet their needs. But I wanna warn you, I wanna, I wanna warn you to be careful because you can easily look at this and see it as just like this box to fill out or ultimately like a big box to check off. Like, yes, I finally, I got them all. Like it's a bingo card. You're not gonna get a prize for this. Listen, listen, this, this is not just like something to do. It's a visual for intentionality. You know, sort of like when my wife gave our son Grayson, like this little timer, this little sand timer. Maybe you've seen these for games or something, but she gave this to him because we're trying to get him to brush his teeth correctly. And so we give him this little timer and um, he'd had it for a few days. And I asked him, I said, I said, hey, Gray, did you brush your teeth tonight? And he said, yep, it barely took any time. Like this thing has never beat me. Right. And, and so like he, he took that and he took it and he, he kind of like he kind of missed the point with it. And in the same way, we can be tempted to just fill out this board and then we missed the intentionality behind it. But once we begin to know names, then we can begin to see needs and have an opportunity to meet those. And you'd be amazed at the needs you'll discover if you first meet that basic need of being Known. And so it starts there, starts with needs. And then the second thing we see Jesus do, you ambush with grace. You ambush with grace. And, and that means that you resolve your response before you react. Listen, for some reason, like Christians have this reputation of being confrontational. And, and, and I say for some reason, it's because there are so many examples of Christians just starting with confrontation, but we didn't see Jesus do this. Well, like, like a lot of times, like Christians will approach something and if they don't see eye to eye with someone, they feel like they need to immediately address that. And usually it comes off in a very like hostile way and it shuts people down and it, and it kind of gives a bad rap and they don't hear the message of hope that we have that they desperately need. And when we see this, we see this play out and we think like, okay, that makes sense. Like we see Jesus, he ambushes people with grace. And when we see that, like he's going to love them first. And we see it and we're like, okay, okay, I can do that. Like, I, and then we think like, but like, did you see the political sign in my neighbor's yard? Like I get, we want to like love people and ambush them with grace, but did you see that? Or, or we think like, but listen, I, I get it. But did you see the flag hanging in their window? Like, do you know what that means or this kind of thing? Or, or we're like, okay, listen, I get it. Like, hey, we want to start with needs. We want to ambush with grace and we want to like, like boldly speak truth and love. I get all that. But did you see the U of L magnet on the back of their car? Right. And, and so we, we see this and we're like, listen, 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 Jesus didn't start with confrontation. He started with bricks of love that built a bridge of trust that would eventually support truth. You see, he didn't need to start with confrontation because Jesus was so confident that the love of God inside of him would swallow up all of our differences, all of our struggles, all of our shame, all of our insecurities and all of our sin. And when we have that kind of confidence, we no longer view people as projects, but as masterpieces. 
You see, we, we view people as testimonies in progress. As people who are radically loved by Jesus, we actually start seeing people more like the way we'd like to see ourselves. And, and then that kind of allows us to grasp the whole like love your neighbor as yourself command. And so when we choose to ambush with grace, we choose to love people up front which usually means that, that we need to, to consciously decide how we're going to respond before we're tempted to react. You know, as a student pastor for, for over a decade, I would oftentimes tell parents, I'd say, hey, listen, there's going to come a time where your child or one of their friends, they share something with you that you need to go ahead and decide you're gonna freak out on the inside, not the outside. And some of us need to just, just take on that mantra whenever we approach conversations with our neighbors, like whenever there's an unexpected conversation bomb dropped in our lap, we need to, to be able to say, listen, I'm gonna choose to build a bridge here that can eventually support truth. And then this third thing that we see Jesus demonstrate time and time again, we speak with boldness because we strive to gracefully speak truth and not bluntly spew judgment. Like, like that's what we wanna to try to do. When we do have an opportunity to present the gospel, when we do have an opportunity to point people to Jesus, when we do have that opportunity, we wanna do so with the full measure of grace and a full measure of truth that Jesus, Jesus so eloquently demonstrated time and time again. And then we see Jesus use phrases with people. He says, listen, now go and do likewise. Like, go and sin no more. Like, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Or, or he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And we see Jesus be very straightforward and confident in his statements of truth while, while filled with the full measure of grace. And he never pollutes it with condemnation. And in fact, he said, I didn't come here to condemn, like I came here to save. Like I came here because like sick people need a doctor and I'm the great physician. And so he shows up and he offers, he offers people truth wrapped in love. And Jesus was a master at this type of delivery. So, so will we mess it up? Most probably. Pr probably again and again, but that's the example given and that's what we'll strive to do, to take steps toward Jesus. And as we do, become more and more like him and lean into his mercy when we mess up and try and try again. Because listen, like, I believe that God has put you where you are to love who you're with. Like, to be good news right where you are, to be his witnesses. And that doesn't mean banging on doors and banging Bibles over people's heads. It means starting with needs, ambushing with grace, and when the time comes, speaking truth with boldness. And let me tell you, when you begin to do that, people people realize and they respond in unique ways. And that bridge begins to take shape. Like you remember the block party I mentioned on Hope Lane, like where kind of all of this conversation began. Well, listen, I'd be remiss if, if I claimed that everyone suddenly became best friends and we would spend every Friday night singing Kumbaya. And no, 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 none of that kind of stuff really happened. But, but, but there was noticeable change. Like, like people began caring more and for one another. Like right there on our street, on Hope Lane. Like, like people began spending more time outside, like around fire pits. You know, kids, 
kids began to realize that neighbors actually went to the same school. And so they, they started riding their scooters and their bikes between each other's houses. And, and when it became apparent one day that, that one neighbor was getting rid of a couch and then this single mom with two kids, she needed a couch. Two other neighbors came into a basement and lifted the couch up, walked it down the street and into her living room. And then one neighbor, he noticed and he realized that there's this other single mom who, who had cancer. She was super private about it. But when he realized that, he said, you know what? Like, like she's not going to be cutting grass in heaven. No, no, no. So she's not going to be cutting grass on Hope Lane. And, and, and then we see that. And then my truck. Let me just tell you, like if you're a truck person, if you have a truck, maybe you've heard this kind of thing. And it's kind of like throw me off as many times as I've heard it. People are like, oh, you have a truck? Well, like, don't tell anyone because they might want you to come help them move or like they might want to borrow it. I'm like, isn't that the point? Like, that's what I want. I want to be able to use my resources to help people. And so whether it's like a load of firewood that we kind of share between neighbors or it's moving a sectional for another neighbor and just kind of like helping out, like that's what it's for. And so church, listen to me. I better not hear of any one of you like who called Northeast home, showing up to Home Depot and renting a pickup truck by the hour. Like, like you, you better come and just, just reach out because we've got resources here, stuff like that, stuff that's very simple. We've got people who are not only able, but who are willing, who are willing. And, and, and listen, and right now, like, like in light of 2020, I know we're kind of making this pivot to 2021, but right now and more recently, in light of the events last Wednesday in Washington, D.C., there has never been a better time for followers of Jesus to love their neighbors. Like we're not culturally tone deaf here. We see what's going on. We see the news. We see the outrage, but we also see the local church as the hope of the world. And so we hold on to the words of Jesus, knowing that eternal life spreads through one neighbor at a time. And so while we attend to those important national and global issues, let's not neglect the people next door because we're able. But are we willing? Because we can make excuses or we can make exponential impacts in the life of our neighbors. And so, and whether it's a creative and safe form of a block party on your street, which, which if possible, let me just encourage a lot of food. Food has a way of breaking down barriers and inviting people in, or, or whether it's offering up your tools or your truck, you know, whether it's offering to, to, to take someone else's trash down to the curb when you do that on Monday nights, or, or, or maybe it's, it's just like a chat you know, on the fence line, like Tim the Toolman and Wilson. Whatever it is, go and do likewise. And, and don't underestimate the power of a smile because we start with needs and we ambush with grace and, and then we boldly speak truth. And so imagine what your neighborhood would look like if you began doing that because you can. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our neighbors God, I thank you that we get together here at a place like Northeast, whether physically or virtually, but, but then God, we get to scatter there wherever we call home. And God, I pray for opportunities to love our neighbors this week. 
God, to meet needs, to ambush with grace, to boldly speak truth. And God, we pray these things because as followers of Jesus, our desire is to be witnesses of the hope found in him. God, may we represent you well. May we take our cues from the interactions of Christ. And when our neighbors look at us, may they see people who are not only able, but God, who are willing to love and willing to prove it daily. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I am loving kicking off this new year with this new series. We love 40509. And what an encouraging word today as we practically look at like, God, what is it you've called us to? When you say love your neighbor, what does that mean? And what does that look like in our our day-to-day life. And Pastor Philip laid out some great examples and really talked in, and I hope that you were encouraged today, Um, maybe even a little challenged. I know that I'm searching my heart and asking, God, how how can I follow you better? How can I love those around me more like Jesus? And church, if you've been challenged by something that you've heard in this series, if this series is challenging you, um, would you just let us know? Would you send a note, a message over to notes to Monty at ncclex.org? And as always, if you have any questions, you want someone to pray with you today, go ahead and click that link in the comment section below. Fill out a, a comment card there, and we would love to connect with you in that way. And ultimately, we're just we're just excited that you're joining with us, but we're hoping that this helps you take your next step of faith, whatever that is. And we would love to be alongside any decisions you have to make, any questions you may have. Now, church, lastly, we always close in a time of of giving and a time of worshiping through our gifts of generosity. So today, we just want to say thank you. No matter how you give, if you give on the, the Church Center app, if you give online, if you give through the mail, you drop it off in the mailbox, however it is, we want to say thank you. And just know that your your giving, your gifts are having a kingdom impact as we love here and as we follow God in the mission he's put at Northeast. So thank you for all that you guys. Well, that's all we have for you today. Hope to see you next week as we finish this series. See you then.